0: And our off the top today, before we get into the live questions, is a big one, and and that is this. You know, back in 2019, I believe it was all the way back in 2019, maybe it was early 2020, but I think it was all the way back in 2019, there was a big tremor in the force that everybody across the galaxy felt when the announcement was made that Marvel... Head honcho, C C, you know, uh, president of Marvel Films, Kevin Feige, was going to be developing and making a Star Wars movie for Lucasfilm. Now that came. There was a bunch of big announcements too. Taika Watiti was doing, but Kevin Feige, who is a lifelong Star Wars nerd, was going to be making a Star Wars film. That I believe was back in 2019. And. We've heard nothing since. We have we've literally heard nothing since. So it's okay. Let's well, I guess maybe it's still gonna happen someday. Maybe it won't. Well, fast forward now to today. And apparently there is now officially movement. On the Kevin Feige Star Wars film that he is developing and going to produce and he's putting together for Lucasfilm. As the fact has come out that they have moved so far as to now attach a writer to it. And that writer is Michael Waldron. Uh, He is the writer for the Loki series. He's the showrunner and writer for the upcoming Loki series on uh, Disney+. And he is the writer of dr strange and the multiverse of madness some of you may recognize his name outside that he's also been a producer and a writer on um oh what's the name of that i keep forgetting uh mort uh what is it something in mort morton something i can't remember the name of the animated show but whatever uh, he's also a producer on that as well Uh, Not many people know this. Rick and Morty. Thank you. Cuckoo in the live chat. Wrote in Rick and Morty. That's right. Rick and Morty. Not many people know this. Uh, He's also Tyrion Lannister's little brother. This guy. Uh, Michael Waldron is apparently also Tyrion Lannister's little brother. Actually, when you go over to uh, to his IMDb page, tell me, you cannot convince me, this might be a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but you cannot convince me that there wasn't some time travel involved. And that Henry Cavill and Peter Dinklage didn't have a love child. Genetically, I don't know how that's possible, but you look at this picture and you tell me that Peter Dinklage and Henry Cavill did not go back in time and birth a love child who has now grown up through the ages. And then they, I, I'm telling you, look, you'll never be able to look at this guy the same again. Henry Dinklage, Bill is saying in live chat, I'm telling you, we'll never be able to see this guy again without thinking about that, but let's get back over here to the story. All right, let, let's actually see what Deadline had to say about this, shall we? Uh, after penning Doctor Strange in the Multi, remember this just came out a few minutes ago. After penning Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and serving as head writer and executive producer on the upcoming Disney Plus series Loki, Michael Waldron is looking to stay in business with Walt Disney Studios in a big way. Sources tell Deadline Waldron has been set to write a new Star Wars feature film that Kevin Feige, president and Marvel Studios and Chief the Creative Officer of Marvel, will develop and produce for Lucasfilm and Disney. This, just one part of the recent deal Waldron signed with the studio that will keep him in business with Disney for some time. Disney declined to comment. Besides writing the new Star Wars film, the deal is also expected to bring back Waldron in some capacity for, get this, season two of Loki. We weren't even sure there was going to be, we have not even been sure there was going to be a season two of Loki. But apparently they've already locked him up to do a season two of Loki. Not only is the deal a rarity at studios, it clearly shows how much faith Disney, Marvel, and Lucasfilm have have in Waldron going forward and uh, should surely open doors for years to come and many more high-profile properties. Well, that's if Loki and Doctor Strange 2 don't suck, of course. Now, that, that's, a, that's a big little uh, caveat you got to have there, that it's all assuming that they don't suck. All right. I have a couple of thoughts here. Thought number one. Yay. Kevin Feige is there. That movie is still happening. Listen, as somebody who has, I had the, uh, you guys know, I've had a chance to meet and chat with Kevin Feige a number of times, including this one time I got to just talk with him for about 10 or 15 minutes at one of the star Wars premieres. and And he was there for that and just talked about his love of star Wars and all this kind of stuff. This guy, he is truly a lifelong, hardcore, geek-to-the-bone Star Wars fan. And uh, that's always good to see. And when we see what he's been able to do with Marvel and the MCU, it adds to the excitement that he would be shepherding something like that. Now, it's important to note that Feige himself will not be directing this film, at least not that we know of. I don't know. Maybe he'll take a shot at it. I hope he doesn't. A Star Wars A big budget Star Wars film is not the first film to do as your first directorial effort, but uh, he'll clearly pick a great director. Here's the interesting thing about this, though. This isn't just good news about Star Wars. Because, you know, as a Star Wars fan and as an MCU fan, I'm I'm totally psyched to see what Kevin Feige can bring as he's kind of shepherding a Star Wars movie. Yes, it's good news for Star Wars. This project has not been abandoned. It's still in motion. They're doing it. Here's the other neat thing about this. The other neat thing about this is that I think this speaks volumes to the excitement we could probably and should probably have regarding Loki and Doctor Strange too. I'm sorry, every time I bring that picture up, I just see Peter Dinklage and Henry Cavill doing it. I, I, I Whatever. It's going to be hard for me to not see that in, in the uh, landscape that is my mind. Anyway, this to me speaks volumes about the type of work he must have done with Loki and Doctor Strange too that Kevin Feige says yeah I want you to be the guy to write my Star Wars movie here's my idea for a Star Wars movie uh, this 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 and this happens and this happens and this happens and then this and, this and this and this and then this person wins the day go write it to for for him To tap this guy and say, your work is so good, I, as a lifelong Star Wars fan, want you to be the scribe to write my screenplay. To me, that says something about how Kevin Feige feels about Loki and Doctor Strange too. And so not only do I, as a a fan, get excited today because of what we're hearing about, hey, Kevin Feige's Star Wars films moving forward, it also gets me more excited about Loki. I mean, look, clearly I was already excited about Loki, and clearly I'm already excited about Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness, but to hear that this kind of confidence exists in Kevin Feige, because you know Kevin Feige, as a lifelong Star Wars fan, would not just, you know, knight anybody. I hereby christen you the screenwriter of Star Wars. You know that Kevin Feige would not just knight anybody to be the writer of his Star Wars project. He was going to get... And listen... With his resume, Kevin Feige can get any writer he wants in the business. You know that Kevin Feige can get anybody he wants. Kevin Feige has given you a call to write a Star Wars show. Who's not taking that call? Seriously, what writer? Maybe not Quentin Tarantino, but what what, what other real writer in this business is not taking that call? And yet being Kevin Feige and being a Star Wars movie and being the fact that he could have any screenwriter he wanted. He went to this guy. He went to this guy. He drinks and he knows things and he's Superman. I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing. He went to this guy. That's how much Kevin Feige believes in Loki and in Dr. Strange too. And I, that's, that's amazing. So I, I'm honestly here telling you that I'm not even sure which part of that i'm even more excited about whether it's the star wars angle that i'm more excited about or i'm more excited about loki and doctor strange too now again i do want to highlight the one thing that they they pointed out in this article uh when they said when they said this down near the following Uh, he says uh, marvel lucasfilm has in walden going forward and should surely open doors for years to come and many more high-profile properties. Yes, yeah, that that's true. But while Feige picking him is a great sign, and it is, and I'm not I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on all of our excitement here. While that is a great sign, as I've just explained, of Kevin Feige picking this guy, the reality is we still have not seen this. Now Rick and Morty fans may be saying, "Well, we love Rick and Morty." True, but if I'm not mistaken, I think he like wrote one episode of Rick and Morty. He produced like years of it, but I think he only wrote one episode. So, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't cuz I didn't watch Heels. I think he was involved with Heels too. I haven't watched that. Um and the fact of the matter is, I don't really have a litmus test to tell how good his writing is. So we may all be excited, but what happens if we watch Loki and it completely sucks? I'm not saying Loki's going to suck. I'm just saying, but what happens if? So all this great things about, oh, he's going to have a great future now. Well, let's see if these, let's, let's get to Doctor Strange and see how that works out. And if it does, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Anyway, guys, question is, you're hearing about this right now. You're hearing about this right now. Henry Dinklage has been signed on to write the Star Wars film. I, I don't want to undermine the guy. Michael Waldron is his name. What a great day for this dude and his mom and dad. Uh, Michael Waldron has been tapped, the writer of Loki and Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness by Kevin Feige to write Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie. Whole bunch of stuff there. Plus, not to mention, Loki 2 is apparently going to come. They're apparently going to do a Loki Season 2. Once again, adding to the fact that and the speculation that the first Loki must be amazing if they're getting that guy to do Star Wars and they're already green lighting a season two. Anyway, a lot there to unpack. Question is, guys, what do you think about that? Jump on down to the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. And uh, by the way, Insomniac writes in uh, a, a super chat badge on the live chat. Thank you for that, Insomniac. I appreciate that, brother. Okay, guys, listen. For the rest of the show now, we are just going to spend time. We're going to casually kick back as film and streaming and TV fans together, and I'm just going to take your live comments and questions. How do you get in a live comment or question on the show? It's easy. Go into the description of this video, and you're going to see a tip link, or you can click on it there. You can just enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Now, I want to point this out. I've been trying to emphasize this for, for a week or so now, but a lot of people often send in a tip and a question, and it just says anonymous. That's because a lot of times you guys forget to put in your name. You see that top line in the box says your name? Make sure you put in your name there, because if you're going to support this channel, which thank you so much, by the way, but if you're going to support this channel and send in a fun question for us, I want to make sure your name gets a shout out. So please make sure you, you uh, fill out your name part, unless you don't want to put in your name and you want to be anonymous in case that case, you go ahead and you do you. No problem. All right. Let's get into it now and start taking your live questions. We're going to start off here with Gav from Sydney, who writes, "Call me crazy, but do you think that the reason for not recasting Black Panther is that they might have agreed with Chadwick, with Chadwick Boseman, to use a digital version of him? Not sure if uh, if the tech exists to use recordings of his voice to manipulate into new dialogue thoughts. No, 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 absolutely impossible. No, I mean." First of all, the technology's not really there to do a whole movie like that. Like, um, even The Irishman, Marty Scorsese's The Irishman, which did not use the technology throughout the whole film. They did for a lot of it, but even that, while being amazing, was still clearly unable to conquer that uncanny valley. Uh, just no. I, I, I don't think audiences would accept that. And... I don't even think if Chadwick Boseman, if it if, 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 if was his dying wish, I don't even think then that uh, audiences would accept that. Um, and by the way, uh, Black Bono Lala sent in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, man. I appreciate that. Um, even I just don't see that. It would look terrible. It would feel awkward because it would limit also what the filmmakers could do with the character. And, at, and, and honestly, at that point, it's just better to bring in a new actor and to take over the role and carry the baton for Chadwick Boseman. It's like a relay race, man. You know, run, one runner finishes their run, they pass the baton on, and then that runner takes it. And I think, um, you know, I, I still believe that the MCU should not let the baton fall on the ground, that this incredible, culturally important character of T'Challa, I I, I think it's a mistake I honestly I honestly think it's a mistake for them to throw this incredibly vital important culturally relevant character that was an inspiration to so many people It wasn't the title of Black Panther that was the inspiration to to tens if not hundreds of millions of people it was the man it was the character of T'Challa and personally I think it is a mistake to let it go. I understand their reasoning and I understand they're doing it with the best intentions. So I, I'm not upset about it as a fan. I'm just saying, I think it's a mistake. So if you want to carry on with the t- character Ch- T'Challa, you recast and you carry on the legacy of Chadwick Boseman, but they were pretty clear that they're not going to do that. And so, no, I, I do not think they're going to do a full CG thing that I I, I just don't see the win there. You know what I mean? That's just my thought on that Gaff. All right, next up, uh, Patrick Conway writes, um, let's see. Rewatched uh, Agent Carter while waiting for WandaVision, and it really was a fun show. Had cast and explored the history of Black Widow program. Season two was a dip focusing on Dark Force instead of the staying old school spy show. Uh, it's a pity it didn't get a season three. I'll tell you what, I didn't know what to think of. I didn't know what to think of, um, Agent agent carter when it was first coming out i'm like really okay i mean i liked peggy carter in the movie particularly you know first avenger i like the character very much but i'm like really a new series on this i'll tell you what i adored that show at least the first season i agree with you i thought the second season was a dip it was i loved the first season though i thought it was creative and I thought it had a lot of personality and a lot of charm and I dug it a lot. I thought it was really good. Again, the second season kind of dipped for me and I'm not surprised at all. They didn't do a third, but you know what? I'll always have that first season. I, I went back and watched it again, maybe about a year ago. At least I, I watched the first few episodes again about a year ago and I just enjoyed it so much. Uh, but yeah, I was a big fan of that one too, Patrick. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. All right. Let's put it in there. Um, he threw three free throw, right? He threw three free throw. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, right? Uh, How are you, John? I'm good, thank you. Hopefully also my boy Rob. Rob's not here on Thursdays, just so you know. Uh, normally it's Aaron Cummings here on Thursdays, but ever since we had the heightened lockdown rules in LA, we're not supposed to have people from outside our home, in our home, and, you know, Aaron is, it, it, you know, Aaron has. A, Aaron's a cancer survivor, so I really don't want to risk... Uh, putting her in any sort of harm's way. So we'll get back to having Aaron once, you know, things calm down. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but that's who's usually on here with me on Thursdays. Uh, Let's see. How likely do you think it is that we will ever get a Vader series to accompany him on his search for the remaining Jedis and see more of what's up in his noggin after his turn would really be something special. I Listen, to me, Darth Vader is the greatest villain in cinematic history. To me, it's not even close. I mean, Hans Gruber is amazing. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, uh, amazing. I mean, you can go on and on. Thanos is amazing. But to me, it's not even close. Vader's the greatest cinematic villain of all time. And I don't want a Vader series. I don't want a Vader series. There's no win there. Uh, Like, Vader is already so beloved, all it can do is hurt the character, I think. To be honest with you, I think all it can do is hurt the character. And I I don't want to over-explore characters. You know what I mean? I don't want to over-explore characters. I, wanna, I don't want to go into his thought process. And there are novels and things like that. Now, don't get me wrong. If they announced tomorrow that Kevin Feige's new Star Wars movie is... Vader Unleashed, or or whatever. Of course I'll be there. Of course I would. But if Kevin Feige called me, which of course you know he would, if Kevin Feige called me, said Campy, I need your advice, man, because he's always, you know, my phone's always ringing, ringing. It's just, it's just annoying. Feige's always calling me, asking me for my advice. Can't make a decision without me. Anyway, um, were Kevin Feige to call me and say, John, I, I've got a struggle here. I, I've got, I'm gonna make this movie, but I can't decide whether to make it about Vader or make it about this other brand new character i'm doing i would always say do the brand new character do the brand new character we already got vader vader's great vader's in a lot let's let's do a new character but i don't want to be disingenuous if they made a vader thing of course i would watch it with with great delight and anticipation with great interest but uh yeah i i honestly don't think the chances of them doing a vader series are very high and personally i would kind of hope they don't I would kind of hope they don't, but that's just me. I know there would be a lot of people excited about it, So, uh, but I still think the chances are fairly low, but certainly not impossible. Certainly not impossible. It, it could happen. I just don't think it's likely, but we'll see what happens. All right, thanks, man. Um, Zagard writes, oh boy, one of seven. Okay, here he goes. Hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I just wanted to touch on the Batman killing problem with you to help you see why more people feel, let's say, unhappy with Zack's decision, even though people should give Zack a bit of a break. Most of them around my age, 27, in the DC Universe films, are the first ones where they watch them as older teens in their mid-20s, and by that point, they have gotten comfortable with the current comic Batman. Of course, you have to keep in mind, it is an extremely small percentage of the movie going audience that has ever read a Batman comic. I'm just saying Uh, that you take all the movie going audience. It is a small percentage of them that have ever read a Batman comic. Just saying. All right. And DC has said in the comics uh, that main story. Batman does not kill unless he feels it is 100% necessary. I don't think anybody kills unless they feel it's 100% necessary. Anyway, uh, they have also said the older version of him killing people Left and right are alternate universe Batman or prototype Batman stories. Uh, 4 7. So, in their eyes, the true Batman does not kill willy nilly, and it just seemed like Zack does not understand that. Batman is not a realistic person, but an idealized version of one of the best human beings ever. Where he stick to his moral code of ethics, even if it's not always the most logical choice, even after all the evil he has witnessed. That being said, people also have to realize that the movies are not the comics and different universal interpretations of the characters, akin to Earth six one six versus Earth eight seven one two three. Again, proving my point. No, but ninety seven percent of the moving outs wouldn't even know what you're talking about uh, in the MCU Marvel comic. Since we are getting, oh, sorry, that's uh, the thing. Where's uh? Oh, maybe that was it. Maybe you said six or seven. Maybe that was it. Yeah, I think that was it. Okay. So uh, so in the comments. All right, let me, let me address this quick. Let me address this quick. The whole thing about Batman killing. Let me lay a foundational work here. Two things to completely understand before we even approach the topic is, number one, the vast majority of the movie-going audience don't care about what happens in the comic books. I'm not saying they shouldn't care. I often feel they should. I'm just saying a lot of the movie-going audience, like my mom loves comic book movies. My mom loves comic book movies. She don't give a shit what happens in the comics, but she loves comic book movies. And I think that's pretty representative of a lot of movie fans, the vast majority of movie fans. So that's just one thing for us to keep in mind. The second thing that we always have to keep in mind is All comic book characters, particularly the longer running ones, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, you name it. There is no one version of any of them. Superman has gone through many iterations, many personality types. I mean, there's always the core of who and what Superman is, yes, but everything else kind of changes and evolves over time. Wonder Woman. I mean, you want to talk about a character that has had so many radically different iterations. Wonder Woman is certainly right there. From the day that Professor Marston created her all the way up to today, and we've got completely different Wonder Woman in the movies versus in the comics, the current comics at any rate, blah, blah, blah. And Batman is that that as well. So when somebody says to you, you know, why isn't Batman like he is in the comics? The first question you should ask is, which Batman in the comics? Over the decades, there have been many different iterations of Batman that has had different Robins, different costumes, different core motivations, different this, different that. I mean, so when somebody says you is is Batman in the movie like he is in the comic, the question I always ask is which comic depends depends who you ask depends when you ask. There's this great. Um, I, I, I don't have it right now here in, in front of me on my desktop, but there's this great panel, um, that I've brought up on the show before to emphasize this point. And this isn't like the 1960s detective Batman. This is like a modern era Batman. I, there's, so I had this graphic and I've showed it on the show before where Jason Todd and Bruce are in the bat cave. This is the Jason Todd iteration of Robin and they're talking the bat cave. And they're having a conversation about going after these mobsters and, you know, we're going to give them what's what. We're going to kill those guys. And Batman says to Jason Todd, you know, that's the line we don't cross. We don't kill Jason. To which Jason then says, and this is from the official Batman comic, to which Jason Todd says, but you've killed people. And then Bruce looks at him and says, that's true, but only in self-defense. Well, duh course batman isn't just going out saying i'm having a burger oh man i didn't like that pickle i'm gonna kill some fool because i didn't like that pickle somebody's gonna make a t-shirt about that i didn't like that i don't know so in a relatively modern era of the comic now granted it's not the damian era of robin or 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 any but you know it's it's batman acknowledging the comic i kill but only in self-defense so then there are different eras of the comics in the more modern. The Batman has this complete absolute will not break rule no matter what. Don't kill. Of course, the internal difficulty of that is Batman does things to characters in the comic that would obviously kill them. He just gets lucky every time that they don't kill. I, I point out I have brought up this other comic panel before where Batman is stalking these thugs in, a, in an old house, right? This old abandoned house. And they're like, where'd he go, Knuckles? I don't know, Big Eddie. Where did he go? And then Batman comes down out of the rafters, right? Knees, like a 270-pound Batman falling out of the rafters with his knees on Knuckles' chest. And he hits the floor and goes right through the floor, falls another 10 feet and lands in the basement with Batman's 275, 270 pound frame, knees first in the guy's ribs. And in the, in the comic book, they have Batman going in his internal thought process, seven broken ribs, ruptured spleen, a pierced lung. He'll spend three months in the hospital in traction, but he'll live, right? No, he would have, he would have He would have died. If I'm in a house and a 270 pound guy comes out of the ceiling, knees in my chest, and it hits me so hard that I bust through the floor, continue to fall down to the basement and he lands on me, I'm not going to the hospital in traction for there. I'm going to die. But anyway, so now it's important to note here, I'm not debating here whether or not Batman should or should not kill. I'm, I'm just laying it out that there have been iterations of Batman where he does kill and the kind of stretch of reality you can do in a comic book page sometimes doesn't match up with what you can do. And again, the uh, uh, Tim Burton's Batman killed, Christopher Nolan's Batman killed, uh, but nobody seemed to make a big deal out of it until we got to Zack Snyder's Batman. And I thought Batman, under certain circumstances taking life, and I say this as a pacifist, but was totally consistent with the story, with the narrative, and with the character they were portraying. You don't have to agree, and, and that's fine, and that's cool. And I understand people who grew up with a certain iteration of Batman may be more attached to that iteration, and it would be more important to them. I completely understand that, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you're, you also have to understand that there have been different iterations of Batman, and people may want to portray that different iteration. And you got to give them the leeway to do that. And I, th- I, again, I just felt the way that Zack Snyder handled that, particularly in Batman versus Superman, was very consistent with the story, with this Batman's persona, with his background, and where he was in life at that point. I thought it was very consistent. So, anyway, th- I, I, I get it. You don't have to want Batman to kill. You don't have to want him to not kill. I just think it's important that we understand that there are different iterations. And uh, you can portray them. Christopher Nolan portrayed portrayed Batman a certain way. Tim Burton portrayed his Batman a certain way. Zack Snyder portrayed his Batman a certain way. All of them killed. They all killed. Uh, And he has in the the comics as well. So I get it. You, You don't have to convince me about why some people feel like they don't want Batman to kill. I get it. And I agree, but I also think that people who don't like Batman killing have to also accept why other people feel it is okay in certain iterations and times. But anyway, that's just my thought. It's fun to discuss either way, though. It's totally fun to discuss. All right, thanks a lot for that, uh, Zagard. I appreciate your thoughts, man, and thanks for giving me your perspective on that. Uh, All right, Chloe writes, Since we are getting a sequel to Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, Coming this year, supposedly. What could be the next possibilities? A sequel to Days of Thunder? Oh, I don't think they're going to do that. Or possibly a prequel to Oblivion? Nah, Oblivion, I think they're, they're trying to forget about Oblivion. Uh, or a forgotten Cruise movie, Legend? Uh, what Tom Cruise classic would you like to see a sequel to made? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, we are getting, of course, Top Gun is one of his most obvious classics, right? One of his most obvious classics. Let me open up the old IMDb page here uh, and see what we get when we uh, look at Tom Cruise's illustrious career, of course. Uh, we're, we're looking at, let's see here. Let's go down closer to, let's get it at least into the 80s here. So, I born on the 4th of July, probably Rain Man. Huh. Huh? Actually, you know there is a couple. When you get into the old ones here, risky business. I don't think there's one you can do there. Outsiders know, but I'll tell you what. Color of Money, Color of Money would be an interesting one. Revisiting that character so many years later. What's he? What are the scams he's pulling today? Rain. At first, I was thinking Rain Man's not a good option, but I don't know, man. You you get him and Dustin Hoffman together today, that. That could be interesting. Uh, obviously, not born on the 4th of July. Days of Thunder, I don't think, not far and away. A uh, few good men, no, nah, a few good men really wasn't even about the characters. It was about the narrative and that story, and that played out. And you can't handle the truth. Um, the firm, I think, is done. A lot of people thought for a long time they could have done another vampire one. Uh, with interview with the b- vampire with him as Lestat. They, they thought for a long time they could do one. I wouldn't be against that. And obviously, Mission Impossible continues to go. I don't think there's anywhere to go with Jerry Maguire. Uh, eyes Wide Shut, bring on the filthy man. Uh, not Magnolia. Uh, not Vanilla Sky. Eh, some people wouldn't probably wouldn't mind a minority report. Not Collateral. I love Collateral, but you don't want to do a sequel to that. Uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, I... I go back to some of the older ones. I liked his Jack Reacher movie, by the way. Color, you know, I'm going to say Color of Money. I wouldn't have thought of that before. But Color of Money, now, now I'm obsessed with that idea. To see, to see revisit that character later on uh, would be kind of an interesting thing. I, I'd be into that. All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, Chloe. All right, next up, uh, we've got Special Agent Dale Cooper writes, my New Year's resolution is to watch every Oscar Best Picture winner. Nice. Going back to I found out uh, there were actually two picture categories in the first ceremony. Uh, why is Wings the canical first Best Picture winner over Sunrise? Sunrise is my new, is one of my new favorite films. You know, I'm not really sure. Sh- I don't know. I've never really gone back and thought about it. Uh, hold on a second. First Academy Awards. Let me see here. The first Academy Awards... And let me see if I can find the uh, winners. No, I can't find a list of winners. Okay, so... Yeah, this is interesting. This is interesting. So it was kind of like the Golden Globes at one point, right? Because the Golden Globes, which are a complete joke, nobody should ever take the Golden Globe seriously. They do put on a great show, though. Got to give them that. They put on a great show. But where they say, oh, there's best picture drama and best picture musical or comedy that they constantly put in movies that are neither musicals nor comedies, but whatever. So they had best, they had outstanding picture and best unique and artistic picture. That's interesting. So I guess, listen, the reason why... Just like at the Golden Globes, when they say the film that won Best Picture, they normally are referring to, to drama. That's what they normally refer to. Whereas, you know, the other one they'll also mention, It, I guess to them at the time, and again, I was clearly not around back then, to them, Outstanding Picture was the big award. Like, maybe Sunset could have won Best Unique and won Outstanding, but it didn't get... So I guess... To them, officially in the chronology, uh, that's the one that won. The outstanding picture was the big award. Excellent question, man. Well done, Dale. Good deep dive there. I like that. All right, next up. My secret boyfriend writes, how's the new house? The new house is coming along great. I move. Ann and I move in three weeks. Three weeks we move. I'm so excited for the new house. Anyway, uh, any unpopular opinions? Some of my uh some of my star wars the last jedi second best star wars movie really harry potter uh deathly hollows part one best harry potter movie i know a lot of people that think deathly hollows part one is theirs personally i think deathly hollows part two is the best harry potter movie that's me uh one of my favorite movies wind river love wind river that thing's amazing uh hawkeye in there is great so you can get hawkeye and scarlet witch in there it's fantastic a uh, hereditary best horror movie ever made A lot of people discuss about whether Hereditary is even a horror movie. Like, I consider it a horror movie, just for the damn car scene alone. But uh, there's a lot of people who kind of make some... I've I've seen really interesting debates about whether Hereditary is even a horror movie. But uh, keep up the amazing work. Uh, We're with you to the end. Thank you so much, my secret boyfriend. I appreciate that very much. And thanks for sharing those thoughts. And yes, guys, Wind River. If you've never seen Wind River... It's fantastic. It's really, really great. It's heavy hitting. I walked out of the theater feeling like I had a really great experience. It's hard hitting. It's it's disturbing at times. It's thrilling. If you get a chance, if you haven't seen Wind River yet, do go and check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. It's not a lot of fun, but it's a great film. All right, Ken Domic writes, uh, Wagwan. I'm a fellow Canadian YouTuber who reviews food. Nice. My wife loves. My wife actually. And not a lot of people know this now, but very early in our marriage, Anne actually started her own uh, website and YouTube channel that was called "Girl uh, Girl Versus Food," and obviously a play on the old "Man Versus Food" show, right? And she would do some food blogging, and as a matter of fact, uh, she even got the attention of a bunch of Food Network stars, and the winner of the great food truck race actually connected with us. And we started doing food stuff, some food videos with the winner of the great food truck race anyway. So, Anne was totally into that. So I love the fact that you do uh, food reviews on YouTube. That's great. Uh, and I wanted to know what's sh- yours and Rob's favorite food item uh, are, what your favorite food items are when you're watching a movie at home. I don't know if uh, you can get any poutine in Burbank, but I tried in and out before I visited the arc light last year. Yeah. The arc lights a lot of fun. Um, okay. So obviously when I go to a movie at the theater, I never eat popcorn, like never eat popcorn unless I'm at the movies. I don't know why I'm not a big popcorn guy, but when I walk into the movie, actually right now, you can't see what's going on in my mouth. That sounds like the name of my softcore porno movie. You can't see what's going on in my mouth, but you can't see what's happening in my mouth right now. But I just thought about movie popcorn. My mouth is salivating like crazy right now. Whenever I walk into a movie theater. Instantly, it's like a Pavlovian response. As soon as I walk into a movie theater, my mouth starts to water. And I, my, I I, just crave movie popcorn. I don't know why that is. I never crave popcorn any other time. But that's an interesting question. What do I like to eat when I'm watching a movie at home? That's a good question. I, You know what? This is going to sound totally boring. I don't do popcorn. Usually it's a good bag of Doritos. I mean, if I want if, if I'm actually like hungry, hungry and I want to eat while I'm watching, I mean, pizza is a great option. The reason pizza is a great option for watching a movie at home is that re- pizza, eating pizza requires very little attention, right? If you've got something in a dish or a bowl, you got to watch your spoon going into the bowl, make sure the spoon gets, there's, there's a little bit more effort. How lazy are we that we're talking about bringing a spoon from the bowl to your mouth is effort. Pretty lazy. But I want my attention on the screen. That's where I want my attention to be, right there on the screen. Ooh, I love my autofocus. Look how quickly it went into, oh, now it won't do it. Now that I'm saying, look how, woo! That's some good autofocus right there. Okay, now back to my face. Um, you want your attention on the screen, right? That's where you want your attention. So uh, to me, is a great option because you don't even have to look at it. Like, you, got, you just have to make sure your hand's on it and you just bring it to your mouth and whatever. But normally, honestly, a good bowl of Doritos, a uh, glass of Diet Pepsi. mean, that's, that's generally, that's really, so when Anne and I pop on a movie at home, that's usually one of my go-to thing. I usually go to a, a, get some Doritos. So that, that's it. Not very exciting, but if I'm eating a meal, pizza, because it's the least amount of attention requiring meal. I guess you can say the same thing about a burger. I guess a burger is the same true, but I'll go I'll go with pizza on that. Anyway, uh, great question. I love that. Thanks, Ken. Next up, we go to Big John Ranger, who writes, Wow, how can you just stick to everything as subjective? So the Oscars are wrong. Uh, we can build museums for crap that can be made at home. Art at some point is either good or bad. Otherwise, there's no need to keep track because everything could be look, I'm I'm gonna be I'll be as diplomatic here as I can. If you don't understand art, I don't know how to make you understand. Listen, it is a scientific fact. This is not opinion, this is a scientific fact. Something, go look it up is only objectively true if it can be empirically and quantifiably measured. That's the only way something is objectively true. I can say uh, this lens hood, which I don't know why I have it sitting on my, my desk right now. This is to my Sigma 15 millimeter prime lens, I think. So I can have this lens hood. If I say this is a good lens hood, Well, there's nothing, there's no way to empirically verify that. So it is beyond dispute. It is a good lens. No, I can't. But what I can tell you is the diameter from here to here on the lens, because that can be scientifically measured. That can be empirically and quantifiably measured. Whenever opinion is brought into it, it moves from an objective truth to a subjective point of view. That's just the scientific, that's just the science of it. If you cannot empirically measure something, then it is not objectively true. You want to know who's the fastest runner at the Olympics? There's a scientific unit of measurement for that, that you can measure and without any question say, that guy is faster than that guy. You want to know how tall a tree is? There's objective truth there. You can take a scientific unit of measurement and measure so that there is no debate. It is quantifiable. This tree is 18 feet, seven and a half inches tall. That's not based on your opinion. That's fact. That painting is a good painting. Prove it. Oh, you can't prove it. Well, yeah, John, I I could prove it. I could uh, ask 10 other people. Oh, no, 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 no. Now you're just getting other people's subjective opinions. You say that painting's a good painting. Prove it. Don't tell me somebody else's opinion about that painting. Prove to me with science. So it is irrefutable. It is a fact. Prove to me that that painting is good. You can't. You can't prove that's good. You can't. There's no empirical quantifiable unit of scientific measurement to determine the goodness of that painting. And that is not to say that the subjective opinions of the various people who look at the piece of art are wrong. It's not to say that the the, the Academy is wrong, but you've got to understand and recognize what the Academy is. The Academy is a body of film professionals that choose to award what they think is the greatest thing in excellence, but it is not proof. It is not proof that um, uh, Shakespeare in Love is better than Saving Private Ryan. Shakespeare in Love won the Academy Award. I believe it's that year. Shakespeare in Love won the Academy Award uh, the year that Saving Private Ryan was nominated. That isn't proof that one is better than the other. It just tells us that the Academy that year felt like that was the one, and they recognized and gave it that honor. So, again, somebody wants to say to me, Godfather 2 is better than Godfather 1. Okay, okay. That's your opinion. Prove it. You can't prove it because there is no empirical, quantifiable, scientific unit of measurement to give veracity to your claim. There's just not. Art is subjective, and that's not a bad thing. That is the best thing about art. The best thing about art is that each of us with our own backgrounds and our own experiences and our own personalities and our own points of view and our, 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 our whole, you know, uh, the way we see the world, we approach a piece of art and that art will hit us all in a different way. And there is some art that the vast majority of us will agree that art is great. And only a very tiny few people think, no, that art's not that great. And that's fine but it doesn't prove one is the other. And that is the basic thing that I believe all film fans need to understand is the subjectivity of film. We can talk about this movie being great and that one being awesome and I can give my own personal top five of the year and all that kind of stuff, but we can do so and have our discussions with each other understanding that at the end of the day, it's all subjective. You and I can debate whether Godfather 1 or Godfather 2 is is the better one. Neither of us are objectively right or wrong. But I can tell you that I think Godfather 1 is better and I'll lay out my reasons why and then you, I can either change your mind or not and you can say why. But, but it's still all uh, subjective. Again, whenever somebody says to you, movies are objective, say, okay, prove it. Give me proof. Because objective truth is provable. The quality of a piece of art is not provable. So anyway, there's that. So yes, Big John Ranger. I stick by that because that's the truth. That's the truth. So you either accept it or you don't, brother. You either accept it or you don't. All right, next up. Alex Von Gollum writes, Hey, Geo and Rob. In honor of the 20th anniversary of Fellowship of the Ring, still can't believe it's turning 20 this year. We talked about this the other day. Uh, which is your most memorable scene? I'm torn between uh, the You Have My Sword uh, and My Axe and Gandalf versus the, uh, the Barlog ones. Uh, Bohemir's Redemption is up there as well. Listen, I'm a little bit biased because of this. Boomer's Redemption is... Is my all-time favorite scene in any piece of art. In any book, in any movie, in any TV show, my all-time favorite scene ever since I was a child reading it was the redemption of Boomer, Saving Marion Pip. When he had he had gone after the ring himself coming back to himself and redeeming himself, giving his life in an impossible no-win situation to try to save the hobbits. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And it was going into watching Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, it was the scene. It was the scene that I was looking forward to watching. And the way Sean Bean played it, mm, the way Sean Bean played it, it was everything I dreamed that scene would be. So that's my favorite scene in, in that one particular movie. Uh, by the way, Andrea sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Andrea. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, so there's that one. Oh, oh, I, I, get ex- I get chills just thinking about that scene every single time. So good. And then in the movie, when him and Aragon are, are talking at the end, and goes, I would have followed you, my brother, my king. Mm. Damn good stuff. Damn good stuff. All right, anyway. Uh, Yaz writes, uh, Cheetah tells the homeless guy to stay warm. The guy who attacks her was wearing a trench coat. Everyone in sweaters and jackets. We have a scarf guy, for for crying out loud. Yet, it's suddenly the 4th of July. Uh, The more I think of this movie, the worse it gets. I never even thought about that. I never even thought about that. Uh, You know, I don't know. You know what? Maybe... Okay, you know, no, no, that is that is a weird thing. I'll give it a pass. I'll give it a pass. It was a it was a cold evening, cold evening, East Coast. You can get a little cooler evenings, stuff like that. I'll give it that, but that's that, that isn't. But it's not like they were all walking around in winter coats and like there was snow on the ground, right? Like for instance, there was another scene in the movie where Barbara and uh, Diana are sitting on the outside. They're sitting on an outdoor patio of a restaurant eating together. Oh, Barbara, you're so funny. Uh, That was kind of painful dialogue. but, And and it was clearly warm and nice. So I'll give it a pass on that one. Yeah, this is a good observation, but I'll give it a pass pass on that. All right, Daniel Haygood writes, "Uh, This is a thank you for getting me hooked on Kim's Convenience. Okay, see you. Paul Lee. Kim's Convenience... I know you guys have heard me say it before. But I it's a show it's a Canadian show that didn't start much like Shits Creek. That didn't start until after I left Canada. So I was completely oblivious to it. I had I really didn't know anything about it even though it's a Canadian show. Then earlier in 2020, uh our friend Kaori kept telling Ann and I you got to watch this Kim's Convenience show, you should check it out, you should check it out. So finally I checked it out. And I fell in love with it instantly. The Scene one of episode one, just for those of you who have not checked it out yet. Scene one of episode one is about a gay pride parade. Uh, The gay discount, 15%, the gay discount. I'm telling you, you've got to see it. I was just rolling on the floor. Episode one, scene one, and I never looked back. It is a completely, utterly delightful show. And uh, you should check it out. I think, I mean, not everything is for everybody, but it's so funny. I just, I love that show. Uh, yeah. Okay. See you. And now, and Ann and I, whenever one of us is leaving to go, sir. Okay. See you. I mean, that's just the way we do it. Okay. Uh, next up. Uh, Alex von Gollum writes. Have you watched the 4K release of Lord of the Rings? I did. The HDR makes backgrounds, colors more vivid, but the CGI animations got a distinctive white contour, making it more clear that they aren't practical. How well do you think the CGI will hold up in the long term? No, I haven't watched the 4K versions. I, 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 I Listen, I know Rob gets very disheartened whenever I say this. I don't really care all that much about 4K. I really don't. Um despite the fact that I have a 4K TV. Uh it's a large TV and I sit far enough away from the TV that the pixels the human eye really can't from the distance that I sit at. The human eye can't really make too much of a distinction. But what you're saying Alex completely makes sense. The higher the resolution uh we get the more and more older visual CGI visual effects will start to become a little bit more apparent. They will. Of that, I have no doubt. Now, again, I I can't speak from experience on the Lord of the Rings 4K because I haven't watched Lord of the Rings in 4K. But, I yeah, I have very, very little doubt, man, that visual effects on movies that were 20 years ago, which we're getting into the 20th anniversary of, of the first film, are going to... Yeah. I mean, they're 20 year old visual effects. We're going to start to see. It's like, ah, when I saw that in the movies, I don't remember it looking so obviously CGI. And I think the further we move ahead, that's, that's going to be the case. So yeah, I I completely believe your account of that, man. I, I really do. But at some point I'll check it out and I'll see what I think about it as well. Thanks for sharing that, Alex. Next up. Uh, Joe Rogan J.R.E. writes, "Uh, hey, man, tell me your favorite alien based movie and why. Also, do you do you believe? And finally, will you watch Kingdom already? Peace. I I might. I just I I might be getting convinced to watch Kingdom. We'll see the MMA show, not the Korean zombie period piece show, which is great, by the way. Favorite alien movie. Well, I don't know. What what do we consider an alien movie? Like, does Star Wars count as an alien movie? Or when you say an alien movie, do you mean the franchise Aliens? Or do you mean aliens come to Earth like E.T.? It's very hard to say. If we're just talking about aliens that come to Earth movie, well, then it's hard for me to say anything but E.T. I mean, E.T. Greatest video game of all time. Obviously, I'm being facetious, but... Um, yeah, if we're talking about the alien franchise, I'll say aliens, the the second film. And obviously if we're talking about anything that has an alien creature in it, well then obviously Star Wars. So those are the, also do I believe, I believe this, I believe in all the infinite vastness of space that somewhere on some planet, there has to be life. I don't know that I buy that uh, aliens have visited Earth or anything like that, but yeah, I, th- I think just the the sheer vastness of space, you it would almost be illogical not to believe that somewhere out there there's life. So, and that's what I kind of think. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. Jojo Giraffe writes one of two regarding Tenant. I felt the same as you. I thought it was decent, but so hard to follow audio and narrative complexity, which disappointed me. Movies like Tenet should not require multiple viewings and subtitles just to understand uh, the general story, but I've seen it three times now with subtitles and it's great. Such a unique film with wholly creative storytelling and film Ah uh, filmmaking that you appreciate more after viewing if you were at least intrigued by the first time watch it again. Well, listen, I completely intend to watch it again with subtitles. tenant will always have kind of a special place in my heart because it was one of only two movies that I got to go see in theaters during the pandemic. and as uh, as Zagard uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. Ah uh, thanks for supporting us. um the, the notion of, uh, so yeah, for, for that reason, there, there will always be a special place in my heart because of tenet. that that's always will be true. But I agree, um, that a movie should not require multiple viewings and able to follow the story. I kind of feel the same way about that as I do about um, the idea of when there are certain movies that have like a comic or certain movies that have like a special one-shot thing outside of it. No movie should require you to consume an outside piece of content in order to be able to understand and to follow that content. Uh, It really shouldn't be a part of it. And, um, yeah, and so I, I kind of feel the same way about Tenet. Um, hey, listen, guys, for those of you who can still see this, um, for whatever reason, I just did a speed test, and my home internet speed is uh, going really fast and working really well. Like, I'm getting 20 megs upload right now, which is great. And Ryan uh, Giesen sends in a super chat. Thank you so much, Ryan. Appreciate that, man. Um, but for whatever reason, YouTube itself is stuttering on receiving the signal and we're getting some buffering issues. So we're going to wrap up today's show a little bit early. Um, And what I will do is I will do a companion video a little bit later today to get back on that. And we will address the rest of your questions in a companion video. And I will get a hold of uh, my YouTube rep and find out why the last couple of days we've been having moments where YouTube suddenly stops taking the live stream. I haven't noticed any of the other live streamers that i like to see having this issue it's only been me but i just ran a speed test like i said i've got terrific upload speed right now so i'm not really clear on what the issue is but i'll get to the bottom of it anyway guys that will do it for me for today thank you so much for being here my name is john campia and until next time my friends bye bye